0: My pleasure to welcome you today to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you take better control of your financial life and future. Today, I want to talk about an upside to labor shortage, and that's people who are in jobs that suddenly they can make a great deal more just by going through some training at the employer they work for or somewhere else and take their pay rates much, much, much higher. And that's happening in a variety of fields. I'm just going to mention two of them in a couple of minutes. And later, if you're a Cash App user, you may or may not have heard there was a big data breach involving 8 million plus people known about so far. I'm going to tell you what you need to know if you use Cash App. And... Before I go forward, I want to talk to you about Clark.com. It's so hard to know where to go for information you can trust, and that's what we're about every day at Clark.com. I hope that you find really useful information on Clark.com, and we also offer free one-on-one advice to you, if you'd like that. That's offered uh, from 10 in the morning Eastern time to 4 in the afternoon Eastern time. Monday to Friday, so 30 hours a week, and you want to know more about it, go to clark.com slash CAC. So I know it got a lot of headlines about Walmart taking people that are making like $11, $12 an hour working in a store and offering them a chance to go to Walmart's truck driver training program and at the other end, have a truck driving job that depending on the headlines, you can earn somewhere between 90000 and 110000 a year. Let's say that that's all an exaggeration and it's 60000 a year. Let's just say that's the start. Compared to what you're making at an hourly rate as a store employee, it's a huge change in your income. And a big change in lifestyle, obviously, being an over-the-road truck driver. But something about driving a truck for Walmart is that with Walmart, they have the electronic governor on the trucks. The drivers, that means they can't drive too fast. And it's all about reducing accidents, reducing injuries, the whole thing. And you're not put under that pressure to lie on a log and stay on the road longer than you should. And so this is an opportunity that is the kind of stuff that's out there. There's something another opportunity I want to talk about in a second, but I want to talk about the hazard of what's going on all the truck stuff. I've seen a number of stories recently about people who sign up with one of the major trucking companies that say, we'll train you to drive a truck for free, and you'll be making X number of dollars after that. Well, as one report after another has come in, it's not playing that way at all. you got to be very, very careful with the contract you sign if you sign up with any of the major trucking companies that say they're going to train you, because even though they say they're training you for free, you're signing basically a forgivable loan agreement for a huge tuition to go to the truck driver training. And the percent of people who quit truck driving, who are new truck drivers, in the first six months, depending on whose stats you believe, is between 50 and 90 percent of people find it's not for them, that the over-the-road truck driving life is not their thing. So then what happens is somebody who's signed up for one of these supposedly free truck driver training programs not only doesn't have a job anymore, But now they owe all the money for the schooling that supposedly was free but is not. And that brings up something so important in a time where there's a lot of job rotation going on right now. A lot of people are looking for new things to do. They're saying, you know what? What I've been doing, this isn't what I'm going to do the rest of my life. I want something new. Is any training program you sign up for, you need to be really, really careful what that contract says and what your obligations are, and free means free. Free is not tuition deferred with a loan. And don't just listen to some salesperson who's telling you the song and dance about how this is your opportunity to something great. It may be, but not if you get hit with one of these forgivable loan clauses where you could owe 10, dollars 50, dollars $75,000 or more if the program doesn't work out for you or the job doesn't work out for you with a company. As to where people are having a remarkable success right now is a lot of people are in jobs where they're being offered the opportunity to be trained to do something in the tech field because there's such a shortage of people and things related to all things computer and internet and all that. And so people are able, without going to college for that, without completing a normal educational cycle in it, are being trained internally in companies and going from a job that may be pretty much a dead-end job in a company To one that you become valuable in the marketplace and you become valuable to that employer. And then the thing you've got to look out for again, what do you have to sign? And what obligation do you have for the training they do that then gets you this much better job? Are you then entering an agreement where you must stay with that employer three years or something like this? This is different than a covenant not to compete. Because if they lay out serious money to train you, you may be under an obligation to stay with them for X number of years, or you then have a liability to pay back that education. Uh, And I want you to know, I'm not trying to throw cold water on all the unique opportunities that are available right now with our extreme labor shortages in the United States. What I want you to know is you got to always be careful when somebody says, dangles something at you and says, this is free, free with what strings, what restrictions, what requirements? Know what they are because the opportunity may be great, but the obligations may also be great, maybe greater than you're comfortable taking on. It's for you to know not to find out later in the school of hard knocks. And I got Krista here with me, who is my boss who didn't have her
1: microphone on. Are you ready for some questions? (laughs) I am ready for some questions. Okay. This one's from Chris in New York. My oldest son is an A student, but he hates high school so much that he wanted to quit and just get a GED. Luckily, he is in the accelerated program, so he could graduate a year early as long as he doubled up on a couple of classes. Now he wants to take a year or two off. To pay for college, we have a 529 plan to get him part of the way, but the rest would be student loans. I'm afraid that after a year or two, he will just quit college and then have debt that he never wanted in the first place. I'm leaning toward letting him take a break and experience working life for a while. Maybe that will motivate him, or maybe he will decide to never go to college. He's a very smart kid with interests in computers, investing, and history." are we dooming him to a life of underachievement if we let him take a year or two away from school? Does a lack of a college education hamstring careers as much as it used to?
0: So Chris, I think every parent faces this dilemma and one of my children really considered uh, not going to college right away and I was actually fine with that. If a kid's head is not ready for college to say, nope, you gotta go, means you increase the likelihood that the scenario you talked about will happen, or they could just not go to class and flunk out. I mean, I know that's happened to a lot of in a lot of families where there was that family culture, you are going to college. And a kid who just isn't in that mindset, um, it's gonna blow up potentially on the kid, on the kid's wallet. Uh, If parents are putting up money or borrowing money on you as a parent, and yes, if you let your kid take a gap year or two, there is the possibility that your kid will never go to college. I mean, there are no automatic answers here, but but if your child is not motivated to go yet, I think you take that chance. Let them get out there in the work world and maybe... Maybe because of all your child's interests, they'll find their way just fine without ever setting foot in a college campus. Or maybe they'll realize, hey, you know what? I really like doing so-and-so, but I'm never going to be able to do it unless I go get that education or training. doesn't necessarily have to be a college degree. I think you let them be them and don't push the college thing if they're not ready. This is from. What would you do with your kids if one of them I, was like that?
1: I agree with what you said, honestly. I feel like college isn't for everyone. And some people maybe want to... Also, trade schools are such a great option. I know you've talked about that, too. So um, I have a nephew who didn't want to do the college thing, and he really wanted to go to trade school. And he's in trade school, and he's thriving and really, really happy. So I'm all for people. And you can learn in so many more ways now. They're just... So, so many options there. The
0: importance is to have a skill that the marketplace needs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the key.
1: Yeah. This is from Michael in Kentucky. Sam's Club Plus is now charging shipping. They are not calling it shipping, but I noticed a product I ordered was $2 more than if I picked it up at the store. Shipping was still listed as free.
0: Yeah. Sam's Club has sold its Plus members down the river. You know, Sam's Club, you pay... Uh, more than twice the annual fee for Plus. It's the equivalent of Costco's executive membership. And one of the big things that Sam's Club held out with Plus was that you would be able to buy most Sam's Club items free of any delivery fee. Well, now if you go, they'll have typically three buttons there. One will say uh, store pickup, one will say delivery, and one will say shipping. And delivery is different than that. That's where somebody actually gets it to you right away. That that was always supposed to have a fee. But if you click on the price of an item uh that they have the free shipping on for plus members and then click on it in store pickup, yeah, there's a price gap. And it could be a dollar, it could be two, it could be five, whatever. And Sam's Club really uh is being deceptive. I think it's dishonest. And if it's not working for Sam's to offer free shipping, then they need to just say that and and make it clear that you pay more. You know, Costco, when you go to buy something and it says free shipping, do you know what else it says? It says the price may be higher than what you'd find in a local warehouse. And Sam's Club, on the other hand, made it one of the big privileges of being a plus member that you would have the free shipping, but it's not really free if you're paying a higher price for the merchandise. And I think it is a dishonest practice. So you're right. And I'm glad you noticed.
1: This one's from Zach in Ohio. I purchased a four unit property in early 2019 and moved into one of the units. I lived there for 13 months before moving out into a single family house. Since then, all four units have been rented. I only plan to be in this area for another two to three years before moving a significant distance away. I would likely sell at that point due to the addition of property management fees. Would it benefit me to move back into this property for at least 11 months to meet the two out of five year minimum for selling your primary residence tax free of capital gains? It is appreciated approximately 150000 and I am in the 22% income tax bracket. If I did not move back into this four unit, I would consider trying to purchase another four unit and keeping them both when I move away. Would the additional economy of scale reduce my property management fees?
0: Okay, so gosh, that's a lot of things to deal with all at once. So the capital gains exclusion, because this is a fourplex and you have three tenants, and right now you have four, the one that you might move back in would be yours and you'd get, your, uh, you'd get your capital gains tax exclusion. You don't really qualify for it in the normal sense because it's really an investment property. Only basically 25% of it would be exempt from capital gains. But the capital gains tax is relatively low You said you're in the 22% income tax bracket, so what you would pay in capital gains is not 22%. Capital gains tax rate is a more favorable rate, and depending on your overall picture, it could be substantially lower than 20% potentially, unless you're depreciating the property. This is a case where, as I think this through, the whole idea of keeping, selling, and all that if you don't have an accountant who does tax this is a case where you really want to talk with someone and talk through the scenarios because for the most part I wouldn't worry as much about it because most of the transaction would be taxable for your gain the great news is you have the gain but you walk away with most of the gain anyway on the property management fees You don't really get a cut in property management fees normally by having uh, two quadplexes versus one. You have to have a large portfolio of rental properties before you're really in a position to negotiate property management fees. The reason you would buy another property is the economics of that property work, and that would be why you do it. And up next, you know, I... I talk about Cash App, Venmo, and the devil, Zelle, quite frequently, (laughs) and there's a special issue with Cash App involving a data breach. i got to make sure you are aware of, and that's coming up. The payment apps are so popular because they're so easy to use. Venmo, Cash App, Zelle. But there's such a hole in consumer protection with these, that it's like being in a kitchen that's really, really hot. You're going to get burned at some point. And it's because the industry, because this product was never anticipated, the industry has slipped through a hole in consumer protections where you are 100% completely exposed. But now with Cash App, there's a new wrinkle that is one that is quite disturbing. And so often when there's really bad breaches at a company, it's internal. And that's exactly what happened at Cash App. An employee inside the company stole information on over 8 million Cash App users. And the owners of Cash App have been quick to say, hey, you know, they didn't get your social security number or anything like that. But what the criminal has and what the criminal can sell is very sensitive information on who among those $8 plus has the most money. So why is that much more serious than even a criminal having your social security number? Because a lot of people don't have a lot of money sitting around if a criminal is able to sell a qualified list of information of individuals who have really, really good amounts of money, then you become a serious target for people trying to get at that money. So I want you to know what's very important to do to protect yourself. If you have a 401k account, You have a mutual fund account, you have a retirement account, an investment account, a bank account with a good amount of money in it. If you have used the username that you've used for the Cash App or a password that you've used on any of these is the same or similar to what you use on Cash App, you need to immediately change that information with the bank, brokerage account, retirement account, mutual fund account, whatever account like that, because people often repeat the same or similar usernames and passwords because it's just so hard to remember all of them. We just use the same ones over and over again. Well, see, here's the crazy thing. With a brokerage account, You are not protected under federal law if somebody gets at your money. You have to show that you were really responsible with the account to not be held responsible for the losses. If it turns out that you use the same username and password combination over multiple sites, then you have laid yourself open to losing that money. Now... Hopefully, this one won't get really ugly. But just take this simple precaution I want you to do to update those usernames and passwords. Won't take you long on the important accounts if they cross over with what you do on Cash App to protect yourself. And Krista, you have a Zelle thing for me now.
1: I do. This one came in from Donnie in Colorado. I know you've mentioned positive things about Charles Schwab and not being a fan of Zelle. You may be aware and have mentioned this already, but Charles Schwab now utilizes Zelle as an option linked to consumers' accounts. This is very concerning to me. If crooks are able to hack my CS accounts and the funds are not insured, can you provide any additional insight into this new relationship with Zelle?
0: Yeah, so... I was very disturbed the first time I heard from someone that Schwab had decided to align with Zell. And Zell, you're garbage. You're garbage. And I want you to know that Zell is like this cancer spreading among the banks. Some credit unions even have gone to this darkness of Zell. And now Schwab, with Schwab Bank, Going to the darkness of Zelle. Why is Zelle so dark? All right, I want to tell you, I read a story in Barron's Magazine about all this arguing going on behind the scenes with the banks, because some of the banks want to now make Zelle this overriding banking platform where you can pay for things anywhere you go. And some of the other banks are saying, wait, 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 we're not ready for prime time. Look at all the fraud we're having with Zell. And the banks are making a giant mistake. Like, and I'll get back to the Schwab angle in a second. The banks are making a giant mistake that goes all the way back to the 1960s. Yeah, not only were there dinosaurs roaming the earth in the 1960s, I was alive and and, a teenager then. But anyway, the banks kept having problems with people with a new product called credit cards. And nobody would carry them because there would be fraud on a credit card and the bank would say, oh, that's just too bad for you. All your money's gone. And then a senator from Wisconsin named William Proxmire in a hearing said, I've drafted a bill and you're going to fight it every step of the way, but you're fools if you fight this that will give consumers protection against fraud and theft on a credit card. And sure enough, the banks fought it tooth and nail, but the banks weren't as powerful in the 60s as they are now, and the legislation went through, and that's why today, 60 years later, it's generally very safe to use a credit card. And the banks that fought it so badly, they were so wrong. Because Proxmire was right. If you don't give the public confidence that a product is safe to use and isn't going to become dynamite, you limit its growth. Well, Zell is the bank's new thing, and they don't protect you at all. And I'm reading in the Schwab information. This is how we're coming back to Schwab. It says, what if I notice unauthorized payments or suspicious activity? If at any time you notice suspicious activity or unauthorized payments – call Schwab immediately to prevent additional unauthorized Zelle payments. What does that mean? That means every dollar that somebody swiped from you to that moment is gone, gone, gone forever. You know, this is an area where the banks are being just so stupid, so cynical, and so wrong. So, I want you to know that you don't want to have this product activated. We're hearing a lot from people who've heard me talk about this, saying they're having a lot of problems with the bank turning Zelle off.
1: And one person actually wrote in this week, and they said they did call their bank and that the... It was a local bank and the person was very helpful and told them that they could actually at their bank say, not just turn it off, but make it not even optional on their account. So apparently some banks are doing that in a positive direction. Which is
0: great to hear because a lot of banks are automatically activating Zelle on your account. A criminal gets in, steals all the money from your account through Zelle and the bank says, "Oh well, your money's gone. Where if money is stolen from your account pretty much any other way under existing federal law, your money's safe and has to be restored by the bank. But through Zelle, they can steal it all and the bank says, not our problem.
1: So with Charles Schwab, they do require you to sign an agreement to activate it on your account. Just an FYI. I don't see that. I went through the process. Oh, you did? Yeah.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm. So- Don't go through the process. (laughs) Don't use Zelle. Don't use Zelle until the banks grow up and do the right thing by you as a consumer, by you as a customer. And you know what? I'm thinking that sometime soon I'm going to name the banks that are in the Barron's article that are refusing and fighting any move to have any consumer protections on Zelle. By the way, the irony is one of the four giant monster mega banks is on one side of this trying to get consumer protections in place at the federal level. Another of the four giant monster mega banks is doing the opposite, trying to fight. Well, you can name having, them.
1: It's in the Barron's
0: article. I'm not ready to name them yet. I, there's going to be other times. I mean, this okay. is something that this is an ongoing disaster. With Zell,
1: okay. Enough about Zell. Another, another. I just want you to
0: know. Remember, Zell, bad. Don't use it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Woo! All right, (laughs) this one's from JT in Texas. My spouse and I lease a luxury apartment in the Dallas area. I own a 2008 Toyota Prius and can park it either on the street next to our apartment or in the apartment's four-story parking garage. There's a small plastic bar gate that is to provide security for residents. Last August, I parked my car on the first floor of the garage, just past the gate, and the catalytic converter was sawed off my Prius overnight. I owned the car outright, so I only had liability on it and wasn't covered. I paid over $900 out of pocket. The police did nothing. This past January, we got back in town from a three-month work trip, so I parked it on the fourth floor of the garage this time to keep it out of sight. The converter was stolen again. The police couldn't do anything. Management won't do anything to compensate, replace security gate or cameras, fix any of the broken locks on the exterior doors in the building. Instead, they harass tenants about the upkeep of their radios. Is there any recourse I have for this?
0: So, JT, the apartment complex holds itself out as a luxury apartment complex. And this is really short-sighted of them that they don't provide real security because right now apartment complexes have more demand than they can handle and so they're really not focused on delivering a luxury product. As to what you can do about it, uh, please, I hope you don't take this in the wrong light and I don't mean this in anything other than the reality that if you're in a position where they're just not concerned about you, The next time it could be your personal safety and not the catalytic converter, I think it's time for you to move. If you're seeing a pattern of property crime where you live, the next step from that is crime against person, you know, a a stick-up armed robbery or whatever. And so I think that the best thing for you to do is move on. Holding the landlord liable for the theft of the catalytic converter not once but twice is really about how do they hold out the property? What do they promise, other than using a generic term like luxury apartment, if they are specifically saying everything we're about is providing a safe environment for people and these are the things we do to keep it a safe environment, that's where they would be creating potential liability and that would be a small claims court action potentially against the landlord. But I'm betting that the publicity they put out about the apartment does not also go to extremes talking about safety precautions. So moving is really what you should be thinking about to a safer area, a a place that really does do things like with the floor-to-ceiling security gates, cameras, having on-site security. That's the kind of thing you'd want to look for that is real teeth and protecting the residents of the complex.
1: And I don't know if it's legal or if you could do this, but I do know of people who, when there's been crime in their complexes, that hang banners outside of their, on their patio. He said that they're fussing about their patios. I'm sure they wouldn't like that, but just an idea if it's okay to do. All right, this is from Ed in California. What do you think of airline subscription services? Alaska is offering a service for as cheap as $49 a month for one round-trip flight every other month between our other Western cities.
0: Yeah, so there's so much buzz in the travel industry about what Alaska has done. And if you know you'll use the service regularly, uh, particularly at a time of uh, shortage of seats as demand has come back, and with fares having gone higher as a result, the pricing of the Alaska Airlines program is very favorable, but only if you truly can see yourself using it every time. Uh, if you, It's like any other subscription. You sign up for all-you-can-do, whatever. This isn't an all-you-can-do. But if you don't use what you purchased, then the deal becomes a non-deal. But if you really think that in your life it would work really well to take advantage of the Alaska flight offer and use it as scheduled every other month, then I would say go for it because the pricing of it is great. And I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And speaking of great, I hope the rest of your day is absolutely great.